feeling blue, tickled pink, seeing red. Ever wonder why you feel the way you do about certain colors? Well, get ready for an episode full of color psychology and plenty of advice for realtors. I'm Erin Davis, and welcome to Real Time, the podcast for realtors, brought to you by the Canadian Real Estate Association. On this episode, I'm joined by Leatrice Lee Eisman, the Executive Director of the Pantone Color Institute. What color trends can we expect to see this year? How does color influence our behavior? And how can realtors use color to your advantage? Let's ask the expert, shall we? Oh, welcome to Real Time, Lee. It's so good to have you here today to kick off the new year with us. We so appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Ah, great. Now, we've got a fun question as we leap into this today in broad strokes, not to use a painting pun right off the bat, but what does a day in the life of one of the world's top color specialists look like, especially around this time of the new year? Well, I can tell you no day is like any other day (laughs) because I never know what challenges I'm going to have. You know, I am a color consultant And so people consult with me. They want answers to questions. And uh, particularly with my clients, uh, something can come up out of the blue and I have another question to answer. I have to do some research in order to answer it or it's something I I know, you know, because it's specific to the work that I do. Uh, But I would say to you, a, a typical day would start out with my reviewing, obviously, my emails. Has anybody written in? Anybody need any answers? Uh, I would then go to some of my color consulting work, which I do with my daughter, who is also my associate, Beatrice. And um, we uh, are also uh, teaching classes online. And uh, even though these are online classes, I'm still available to the students to answer questions. So we have to allocate time for that for the training. Mm-hmm. And I, I work a lot with Pantone, my major client, and do a lot of consulting for them as the director of the Pantone Color Institute. Um, so, uh, you know, I wear so many hats that I, I never know exactly unless I have a prescribed deadline. And if I have a deadline, then I know I've got to allocate some time in order to pick out the appropriate colors for whatever uh, that client needs, be it in packaging or um, in graphics, it, you know, whether it's a fashion client or cosmetics or a widget that needs to go uh, on a shopping market shelf. Uh, so my work is mm-hmm. full of challenges. And that is part of what I really, really enjoy about doing color consulting, uh, because you really have to put your thinking cap on. And so many people think, uh, you know, it's so simplistic. Uh, you know, tell us what color to use to improve productivity. Uh, I get those kinds of questions all the time. And then I have to come back with, wait a minute, I need to ask you some questions in order to give you the answers. So there's a lot of homework involved. That's a long-winded answer to your question, but it reflects what my days are like. Well, it sounds like you probably do a lot of traveling too. So you're, you're, you're in your seat. You've had your first beverage. You're just about to start reading your favorite new book and somebody <laughs> finds out what you do. Is there a question that a fellow traveler asks you more often than any other? 
Yes, absolutely. Okay. And I can be sitting next to the CEO of a big company who, you know, he's, millions of dollars uh, will come in or out as a result of the color they've used. And they will have specific questions. But invariably, what it boils down to is what color should I paint my living room walls? <laughs> And it's become like a family joke. You know, when I'm, I'm going off to wherever it is and I come home and my daughter will say, okay, who did you sit next to and what did they ask? Oh, and I love almost it. invariably it's that same question. I mean, it really shows me that in the end, even though you make these amazing color decisions about, you know, the widget or whatever, um, people are so involved with the colors that are around them they don't necessarily think that way. They don't think that they are until they're in a panic and then have to make a decision about what color to paint those walls. And uh, so it, it becomes very personal. And that also is a part of my work that I dearly love, that finding out more about people when they share what they like or dislike about a color. Oh, and we're going to dive into that. The psychology of it is just, oh, it's so fascinating. Okay, Lee, have color trends changed over the years, their their impact, their longevity, and so on? I don't know. Have we always been this obsessed with color? I don't think people have been uh, this um, obsessed with color. I think that what has happened is, even though for many people who are creatives, uh, who's, you know, designers and artists and, and people whose work involves color or their hobbies or interests. Uh, but I do think what has happened with the proliferation of uh, this global network that we started to hear about in the late 80s and 90s, uh, and also television shows, you know, the home improvement shows. I think what has happened now is that, you know, people will look at those shows or go online and they see much more information that's out there about color, more discussion about color. And as a result, it's, it's opened up everybody's consciousness and awareness about color. And I have to tell you, um, even though we will probably talk about color of the year further in this conversation, yeah. one of the reasons that I started to do the, the color of the year for Pantone was because we were getting calls from people particularly at the end of the 90s, uh, people were emailing or calling Pantone and asking, so what's the color of the new millennium? And uh, we understood that we needed to come up with a color to represent that. They were interested in that. But for me, the fascinating part of it was the psychological impact of that. Why are they asking that question? What, what does color represent to them? Uh, what does the future hold as far as color is concerned? And I think that doing the color of the year really started uh, an in-depth conversation with people who never even thought about color before. I mean, I remember my husband coming home from the barber and his saying to me, um, you know, the barber said to me, well, it's about that time that the color of the year is going to be announced. What do you think the color of the year is going to be? That's his barber. That's not a designer, interior designer, artist. You know, this is an ordinary person. So we started that conversation about color. And I think that since 1999 in particular, it has become a, a big hot topic. I guess so. And what a coup for, you know, Pantone to to have you and to be associated so closely now with the color, like the authoritative voice. That's 
That's absolutely astounding. And you were right there for the birth of it. That That's amazingly. Could you have imagined at that time that this would become such a thing? Well, I, I didn't realize that it would become such a thing uh, right away. But as the years went by, I could see the momentum building and then again, dispensing itself through population, you know, people that you would never think would have any access to information about the color of the year, the ordinary, you know, person on the street mm -hmm. uh, that you could have a conversation with and they would discuss the color of the year. It was just absolutely astounding that it would have the impact uh, that it had. And of course, I'm delighted by it because if you can get a conversation going about color, you can find out an awful lot about the person who's sharing that information with you and you can help them because the bottom line to me is to educate people about color. That's, that's my passion. Absolutely. And you're good at it. Obviously to be doing this now for 25 years, that's incredible in any line of business, but to be doing it with something you feel passionate about, what a gift. What a gift. Yes, yes it um, is. Is it a bit of responsibility, Lee, though? I mean, when you go out, I see your fuzzy peach, and I will raise you a manicure. Because oh. I, went, <laughs> I went to <laughs> I the like manicurist. It. I said, I'm going to be talking to this woman who knows from color, and she says it's fuzzy peach for 2024, so I'd better get on it. But uh, do you, you can't wear this crown lightly. Well, no, I don't take it lightly because I realize that a lot of people do listen to it and embrace it. But for me, the challenge is for those people who might say, and the color is peach fuzz, they might say, oh, I'm not so sure that I, I'm so crazy about that color. And if you get into a conversation with them about it, you might find out, uh, here I, be, I put on my therapist hat okay, and I say to them, well, was there anything in your childhood that you can remember about the color? Um, you know, anything negative perhaps that happened to you? And sometimes they can answer it right away. Sometimes they have to think about it a while and get back to you. But the answer could be, well, you know, I remember when I was about four years old, I went to a carnival. It was my first carnival. I ate cotton candy. Oh, and I think it was that color. And I ate too much of it and got sick on my way home. <laughs> I've never liked peach fuzzy colors since then. And so my challenge becomes, particularly if you're talking to someone who's designing a new product, their personal interest or their personal likes and dislikes can't come into it. It's a question of, is it going to appeal to your target audience? And if peach fuzz is exactly the color that I feel is going to work for that product, then you've got to wipe out these negatives that are in the back of your mind and think of it from a positive perspective. And so my challenge is that happened when you were four years old. Uh, does it have any effect on your life now? Does it impact your life at all? It's an old memory that's stored in your, in your memory bank. It has nothing to do with you as an adult and certainly as a business decision. So again, in my consultant slash therapist hat, uh, I try to lead people down the path of making a positive out of the negative because it is important to look at it objectively, look at your decisions objectively. And I tell my students all the time, it cannot be a personal decision. It has to be a professional decision.
It's interesting that you talk about, you know, therapist consultant hats that you wear, because I'm sure that every realtor is going, yeah, me too. So all of this just resonates so clearly and people's preferences when it comes to color and psychology. Uh, let's do a little bit of word association or color association. If we can Lee. you've already brought up and I called it fuzzy peach, peach fuzz, peach fuzz. I got to get to know this for the year ahead, but <laughs> some of the colors and associations that you find most commonly among your students, among your clients, the people that you meet when you're walking down the street or whatever during your daily. Well, it's interesting because from a historical perspective, and of course I do study the history of color, I have to in order to know where people's thoughts and feelings came from. What were the influences in the world around us when they first formulated their opinions, where the public in general formulated their opinions? And I do use uh, color word association studies. I've used them for a number of years, and we can track those studies and see if people's opinions have changed. And of course, the color I love to point out all the time, particularly for realtors, because you find so much of this color, whether it's on the outside of the house or the inside of the house, uh, and that is brown as a color family. Ah. And I can remember a time when we'd show people, you know, a little swatch of, of Pantone brown. Uh, invariably, the response would be um, earth, dirt, or dirty. Now, that can be positive or it can be negative. If they're gardeners and they love that wonderful, rich, humus soil, then brown's a good thing. Or they may come up with uh, chocolate. You know, mm. obviously, that's a positive response. Uh, but more often than not, it was about earth and more about kind of dirty. And over the years, what I saw, primarily coming from uh, the fashion world, cosmetic world, where a lot of the trends do start, uh, that there was this changing um, attitude about brown. And that was, I can remember seeing a Michael Kors coming, a dress coming down the runway, um, sequins and paillettes and sparkle. I mean, you never saw this for after five. Brown was strictly a country color, not a city color, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Worn for daytime, never for evening. And so other designers hopped on the bandwagon and they used brown in a very dressy way. Um, and of course, when you ask people about brown from the standpoint of a beautiful leather, you know, does leather, brown leather, remind you? Even a faux leather that we might be using today that looks like a leather mm -hmm. uh, has a rich patina on it. And if you were to go into a home and you saw grandma's armoire that's been in the family for years, and you're never, ever going to part with that armoire because it's very special to you or any other piece of furniture, or your new home has uh, those wonderful wood floors with a nice shiny patina on them, somehow people don't think of brown as a presence when it's in a wood tone. They think of it, if you mention it, as a pigment or as a paint color. So uh, what I think realtors have to, to bear in mind in particular is how and where a color is used. What is the context of the color? Let's not just say, do you like brown? Do you dislike brown? Let's think about it in various ways it might be used in a home and look at how rich or how elegant or how earthy, you know, in the case of doing something kind of rustic, Earthy would be a good a good term to use. So it's no longer dirty. We don't think of that 
wood patina on the floor as dirty unless it has a lot of dog hair on it. We want to get rid of that. We know about that. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> yes, we do. But on the other hand, um, let's think of the positive aspects of it. So even if you were to describe a home to a prospective client, uh, what positive things can we say about that color? And so going back to brown for a moment, um, in the fashion field, again, to supplement Michael Kors came the brown diamonds. That became a big deal. Nobody had ever seen or worn a brown diamond before. And, of course, the movie Chocolat came out about the same time that brown was gaining, uh, you know, more momentum. And uh, that was a very artsy kind of film and had a lovely connotation. And even Godiva Chocolates uh, was no longer meant just for the elite. You could find Godiva in the in the corner store in the, in your supermarket, uh, and it was you know a little more pricey than some of the other chocolates were, but certainly worth it. And your cosmetic companies started to come up with the usage of brown, and now of course we see it even further supplemented as uh, as a symbol of inclusion of thinking in terms of all kinds of, of skin tones uh, and and how some of the beautiful browns and mocha colors, the whole family of brown. So we've developed a much different connotation of that color. And as a color consultant and as a client, uh, talking to clients, I have to point out these things because they might be mired in a certain period, arrested in a certain period of their development, where they don't think in terms of these newer um, aspects of brown. And for anyone in the real estate field, I can tell you when you're talking about a person's home, a home they want to purchase or they want to sell, um, it gets very emotional. And you have to become uh, in a way, uh, a color consultant yourself, uh, in that they look to you for your advice and your knowledge. And for me, knowledge is all important. Uh, training yourself, teaching as yourself as much as you can, reading as much as you can about color, because it's that kind of guidance that helps your client develop confidence in you and your awareness level, and you're making them more aware as well. I want to talk about peach fuzz, and this is the way that you described it. Uh, you said that this year's color choice echoes our innate yearning for closeness and connection, a color radiant with warmth and modern elegance, a shade that resonates with compassion, offers a tactile embrace, and effortless, bleh, effortlessly bridges the youthful with the timeless. And I... I agree with that. Of, of course I do, because you know exactly what you're talking about. But it's, it seems to be such a lane change from what the color was in 2023, which was so, it was warm and passionate and, and just so sexy. It's a, it's, let's talk about what was, what is, and how do you get from 23 to 24, Lee? Well, the most important thing in uh, in deciding on the color of the year is what is the global zeitgeist about the color. Uh, listening to people, uh, they're telling us uh, what it is that they want, what are their aspirations, what are their hopes. Uh, that's a very, very important of arriving uh, points arriving at a color decision. Uh, that that ability to listen to absorb what is happening in the world around you. Now, we, we certainly know there's a lot of um, concern about our world today. 
a lot of reasons to be concerned. The Viva Magenta, which is an appropriate name for the color, we felt coming out of COVID, we could feel a little more confident. You know, at the time we were thinking about naming the color, which is always about six months before we actually do it. We start to gather our, you know, like squirrels, we gather our little nuts and, and kernels uh, that, that lead us to the color of the year. Um, we knew that we were on a pathway to come out of COVID. So people were not, you know, didn't want to be sequestered. They wanted to be with others. They wanted a reason to celebrate. Um, and what is more celebratory as a color than Viva Magenta? I mean, even the sound of it, Viva, it's full of life. Mm-hmm. It's full of energy. And that we felt needed to be infused. And now people are telling us, okay, we need some quiet time. We need time to ourselves. We need time to communicate with others, but not necessarily let's party, 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 but let's do it on a more thoughtful level. And I think thoughtfulness, kindness, these kinds of words kept coming back to us again and again and again. And as I said, that's, that's the first area that we look at. Now, of course, from a more practical standpoint, we have to look at what the designers are doing, what they're bringing down the runways, what the cosmetic world is doing, because that's always very indicative of, of uh, direction. Um, and at one point in time, we did not look at industrial design at all because industrial designers were always at the bottom of the list of designers as to who they would embrace or what they would embrace. And uh, in, in the world of electronics in particular, or the computers themselves, um, it was kind of putty colored and nobody ever did color until Apple came along. And as we know what happened in the late nineties and they still didn't sell as many as PCs, but I will tell you, Nobody who lived through that era will ever forget the impact of those amazing, colorful computers. Mm -hmm. And so people did start to look at industrial design and think, oh, my goodness, you know, there's an area where color is being used, too, in in mundane products we wouldn't thought of in a color. And as a colorist, one of the other areas that I look at, and people always think this is a head scratcher, I look at what the concept cars are for the future. Because we know that the uh, vehicle manufacturers have all of this marvelous um, technology that's available to them uh, to test out new finishes, and new finishes help to bring new colors. So we're always looking ahead to see what's on the drawing board. It's not what's in the showroom today, but what the future holds. That's an area that we look at as well. We look at um, what's happening in the world of sports. Uh, is the Olympics going to be held next year? What country? What are the flags of the country? Uh, what are the uniform colors that, that might be worn? Anything that might indicate to us where color is going from a technological standpoint, from a fashion standpoint, graphic design, packaging, anybody doing anything new in packaging that really is different and unusual, what colors are they using? Uh, what about the art world and the entertainment world? Certainly, we don't look at the movies that are coming out today, but we're looking at the movies that are going to be released next year. People all over the world are going to be watching those films. What colors are being used in the film? Are they animated films? And I always tell adults, by the way, even if you don't have a kid, borrow one to go to the (laughs) movies and look at the animated films because that tells you a lot. Film animators are so marvelous in 
looking to the future and they have the technology available to them now that enables them to put colors up on the screen that are, are so wonderfully intense. And it doesn't have to be a bright color. It can be something like a neutral tone that they show us a, a nuance of a color that perhaps we hadn't seen before. Is it a gray? Is it a blue? Is it somewhere in between? So we're constantly educating ourselves about direction, but we have all of these areas to look at and to do a lot of homework in. Wow. So I'm trying in my mind's eye to picture choosing the color. Like you went with Viva Magenta and everybody knew Barbie was coming out in 2023. Was there a tie in there, Lee, or uh, was that just strictly luck? You know, we felt that that, would be, um, you know, during the time that the movie came out, it certainly was a big deal and it's, it's certainly not totally gone away, but we wanted something that would have, um, a bit more adult energy that would be involved in it. Uh, but we wanted that same kind of excitement. So we were on the same track and thinking in terms of a color family, but we felt that Barbie pink would be perhaps a little bit too obvious and maybe be perceived of as a little too juvenile. Mm. And we always want our color to be um, uh, uh, rather ageless so that it could appeal to all ages, again, depending on the context in which it's used. When you talk about peach fuzz, and when I brought this up, you know, at the nail salon where all the good conversations happen, or your husband's barbershop, mm -hmm. of course, there's a there's a thought of, wow, it's back. And of course, it was a thing. And I remember my mom having throw pillows and a couch and stuff that had some peach in it. So things, is there a lifespan for color, Lee? Like, do you look at it? Because we see things come back like shoulder pads in fashion, for example, <laughs> and, and different elements in the home as well that come back, like retro appliances or things like that. Do colors have a lifespan that will come back? Like, will we see millennium blue again, which, of course, we can tell now is 24 years old? What do you think of that? Well, you know, at one point we could talk um, about uh, the longevity of a color. And, uh, you know, we could rate color from the standpoint of if you looked at just general likes and dislikes, uh, you would find that perhaps orange um, and some of our um, colors like uh, bright lime greens and some of the purples were never considered the most popular colors. Invariably, blue is at the top of the list. We know that. But there are many variations of blue. So what blue are we talking about? But to answer your question, um, it, it even though you read occasionally or see online or you hear somebody say, oh, trends happen so quickly, um, actually, I think it's just the opposite. I think the trends are lasting longer now in color than they ever have before. And one of the reasons for that is that we're dealing multi-generationally. When you're looking at the younger uh, audience, uh, the kids who were not even living when avocado green <laughs> and gold, harvest gold right. were the good colors, remember that? Oh. And, uh, and nobody wanted to touch those colors in the 80s because we were so inundated with those traumatized yes. traumatized yeah, color traumatized i like that <laughs> i might use that again okay uh, absolutely absolutely uh but now what you're seeing is that colors have a longer shelf life 
and I'll point out the yellow green as a perfect example. Now, when we started to look at green as a color of the year many years ago, uh, obviously we were looking at the social implications of the color. Uh, if you say nature to people, if you say ecology, if you say environment, uh, and you say color, almost invariably green is one of the first colors that comes to mind. Um, the preservation of the environment, uh, you know, preserving the world around us. Now we could think in terms of earth colors, other earth colors too, but green somehow implies a freshness and implies growth, new growth. Um, you know, spring comes every year and we see those new shoots coming out of the ground. We know that's always going to happen. So it gives us a feeling of something that's hopeful with that yellow green. Now, at one time, it was not as popular a color. Uh, it was considered garish. It's too bright. Um, and now we look at that color as being more closely associated with nature and with preserving nature. So again, it's what's happening in the world around us, what social implications, what environmental implications are there, uh, geographic implications, and that has to be brought into play as far as choosing a color of the year. Or, you know, I work a lot on forecasts, uh, both for the home, uh, for interiors and exteriors, and a lot of my clients are clients who are uh, building homes uh, or communities uh, and choosing colors. Uh, and so I have to look at it from the standpoint of not just the geography of the area that we're in, but what are the implications of that color now? And is it thought of more positively? And I would have to say to you that the yellow greens are, uh, I would say in the last 10 to 15 years have been more wildly popular than any other time in history. And a lot of that is because of the connection to the preservation of, of the, of the universe, if not our planet. Hmm. All right. Let's talk about homes. Often when we look at homes, um, I know in my case, if I'm looking at a whole bunch of them, and that's usually the way it goes, I'll go, okay, the blue house or red kitchen house, or I don't think I've ever seen a red kitchen, but who knows? But you know what I mean? I will associate the color with a house. So what about people like you talk, you said with builders and that sort of thing, and we all kind of associate new homes a lot with builder beige or very like gray or, or something like that. What is your advice to people who are looking to make an impact, but not scream a color? Mm. That's a very good question. It's a question I get a lot. Um, obviously, I, I mentioned the geographic location. Uh, you don't want to be the purple lady who paints the house purple <laughs> if the neighborhood is filled with other earth tones. Uh, right. Obviously, the neighbors aren't going to be very happy with that. Okay. But let's say that purple is a favorite color. Obviously, I mean, for us, it's obvious, not obvious to everyone, uh, depending on how fanatic you are about a color. Um if you love a, a color, like a purple in the family, think in terms of the purple family. There are many different shades of purple, everything from an elegant eggplant, or the French called it aubergine, uh, way down to the mauves and the lilacs and the kind of grayed uh, lavenderish purples. There, there's a whole range. 
Um, and if that's a color that makes you happy, there's opportunities to use that color within the home. Now, we obviously think of the accent colors, the, the pillows and the accent carpet and um, perhaps something, you know, in a, in a painting or a poster on the wall. Uh, many opportunities, a lampshade, wherever. But I think that it's really important if you're selling the home to uh, do something that's a little memorable so that when people are looking at a lot of houses, as prospective buys, you're right. They will leave that home and think, oh, that's the house that had, uh, yeah, the red the red toaster and, all, and those appliances in the kitchen. Right. Uh, it makes it more memorable. So I think that there is a case to be made for making the home more memorable. Uh, so that when the prospective buyer leaves, there is something they can tag onto that house that makes them remember the house. Now, it doesn't mean that you've got to repaint all the walls in, in that particular color. But I like to point out there are other areas as well, like, for example, the front door uh, for curb appeal. Uh, if everybody else has a brown wooden door, and maybe you want to make it a little more elegant. You're, maybe your home is a little more traditional and you want to set the stage before you even open that door. Perhaps aubergine is the color to use on that front door. Uh, perhaps, and certainly we know that we want to doll up the front of the house for curb appeal. Perhaps it's in the plants that, that sit on the front porch or on the front steps. Something that you can do in your landscaping around the outside of the house uh, that will make it more memorable. Oh, do you remember those purple hydrangeas, how gorgeous oh. they were against yeah. the house? Uh, those kind of memorable things. So I'm not suggesting that it has to be a bright knock-your-socks-off color. Uh, but I will say this about paint. And uh, I think it's really important to bear in mind Everybody's mindful about how much is it going to cost me. I don't want to have to pull up the carpeting and replace it. That's, you know, going to cost too much. But what about the entryway? What if I did one wall in the entry in that wonderful new peach fuzz color, which is very warm and inviting? Um, and I want people to leave my house saying, oh, you know, that that's a very warm house. It's, that's an inviting house. I, a, a feeling of nurturing, of possibly using that color in a bathroom because it throws a good light on the skin. Mm -hmm. um, so there are those opportunities to use color, and it doesn't have to be brilliant color. That's not what I'm suggesting. But finding a spot, the right place to use it, to make the house more memorable and to leave people with the, with the right impression. And as I always like to say, and I've already mentioned, um, if people leave your home and they say, Oh, warm, inviting, I felt welcome in that atmosphere. Then let's think about that in terms of, of uh, what we might use in the colors for that house. Such great advice, Lee. Um, when we're talking about, say, a development that's got a school nearby and parks and you're going to aim at the young family, for example, um, is there such a thing as staging that might appeal to certain buyers? As far as young families are concerned, I think you need to think in terms of your area. I mean, the obvious thing is that there have been a lot of the gray uh, walls and of course, the black and white, it's, you know, and a lot of it's being shown on television shows and inspiration online. But the problem with that is that um, 
they all wind up looking very much alike. And so there's that memorability that disappears again. Now, I say to people that live in a particular home, if you love the country atmosphere and you have decorated in country, now, you know, country also conjures up certain ideas. It can be over-countryfied uh, with too many home sweet homes <laughs> all over the walls. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I think younger people today are a bit more sophisticated in their tastes. Um, and uh, But at the same time, they may find something memorable in something that they own. And maybe grandma's house was a favorite place to go when they were children. And grandma had blue willow china that was in her china cabinet. Uh, and you want a few pieces of that because it reminds you of your lovely grandma who you dearly love. Uh, and, and, and you, you want to introduce that color scheme, but you don't want to do it so that it's overdone. And that's, that's a suggestion I give. I, I think that realtors have to become, uh, anyone who is in this, you know, involved in the sale of houses or putting a house on the market. You have to become a, a color consultant too. And I, I mentioned that earlier. And I think it's important to question, uh, the would be buyer, um, or the would be seller. Um, what is there about your home that speaks to you? What is the message that you would want to give across, particularly in buying a home? What are you looking for? And that's the advice that you could give to the person who's putting the house on the market. Um, just a few pieces, not, you know, a whole wall of grandma's china, but a few touches of that, that bring back some of that nostalgia, but is not overdone. So I never say to people, oh, you know, that's so yesterday. Uh, you know, maybe the, the mauve carpeting was done <laughs> several years back, but it's still in good condition. And maybe now with the mauve, we're going to use uh, some other tones uh, next to it. Maybe we're going to use some blue greens, uh, you know, instead of the usual kinds of colors that you would use with the mauve. So here's your educational aspect that I was talking about earlier. Uh, of realtors being aware that there's a great deal to learn about color and mm -hmm. you should, you know, get the books, get the magazines, look online, take some color training. Um, all of this is helpful because the more you know about color and the more you can pass on to your clients, the more confident they become in your abilities. Now I'm being redundant. I said it before, but I'm a teacher at heart and I believe that learning more about a subject makes you more valuable as a salesperson. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, as you talk about therapist consultant, there's also a little bit of decorator in there too, because one of the, oh, yes. one of your messages that I love too, is that if you want to inject a little bit of color, like I see you've got, you know, the peach fuzz on and I picked up a scarf. I haven't, I haven't put it on yet, <laughs> uh, but, but I almost did for you today, Lee, um, just eclectic. As you've said, and again, it's not a magic bullet. It's just a, you know, it can be an eyedropper of the color that, that, that brings in the feeling of 2024 and peach fuzz and what you're trying to, but not trying too hard to send mm -hmm. as a message. If, if I'm getting your message correctly here today. Yes, absolutely. And I like your usage of the word eyedropper and <laughs> also the word, word eclectic because eclectic is a key word today meaning that you don't have to be so super conscious of everything being absolutely matchy-matchy, uh, that it's okay to have a more traditional setting and to use 
a, a lucite coffee table uh, in front of that wonderful cushy sofa. Um, and that uh, you don't have to be as concerned about periods now. But what's more important is getting getting the essential feeling of the that you want to get across. That uh, you have a, a room that perhaps is rather dark, doesn't have a lot of light coming into it, small windows. Uh, I think the first thing to think about is how to enlarge that space, to make that a more welcoming space. And I will share with you uh, a tip that was given to me by a famous decorator in New York um, many years ago, and I've never forgotten it, and I thought it was so brilliant. Uh, and that was if you have a room that's small and it doesn't have a lot of light, the obvious thing is to paint it with a light color. But I will tell you, it doesn't necessarily have to work that way. Let's say it's a small powder room or a bathroom that you're not going to, you don't live in that room. You're going to walk in and out, use it, and then come out and and, and do whatever else. Um, sometimes a bit of drama is something to add to. I have never had a powder room in any home that I've ever had that I don't paint some deep dramatic color because I know that people are going to walk into that and say, wow, I wouldn't have thought of doing um, a room in this dark color. But again, think context. A room that doesn't have any light coming in, but it has electric light, you know, so that you can see. Um, Let's stretch our imagination uh, a bit and not do just the obvious. But at the same time, getting back to the designer who said to me, in a small room, uh, let's do the ceiling in blue. And I thought, wow, why? And he said, because blue is the sky. And because it opens us up to the universe. And it makes us feel connected, more connected with the outdoors, the outside. Uh, Same reason for using green plants in a room. Not only does it help as far as oxidation is concerned, or oxygenation, I should say, um, but it also brings in a sense of balance. Now, there is something called homeostasis in interior design that I think is a really important point. Again, I teach it in my classes. Homeostasis is a fancy word for balance. And that is that a room should never be decorated in totally warm colors or totally cool colors because you need a balance. Your temperature needs to be regulated in in a given space. And so if you walk into a room that has mostly warm colors in it, and a lot of people would prefer that in a home, be sure that you bring some green plants in. Be sure there's some touch of blue-green or bluish-lavender, something from the opposite side of the color wheel, because that helps to give you balance. It keeps your uh, homeostasis on on a human level uh, at a good point. Conversely, we don't ever want to do a room that's all done in cool colors, because then we're going to start to feel cold. And nobody wants to feel leave a home and say, oh, I felt chilled in that home. It's so cold. That's never a compliment. I'm not saying don't use cool colors because they are, you know, blue is highly preferred. But what shade of blue are we going to use? Is it going to be a periwinkle blue, as we did two years ago as the color of the year, very peri, that has a little red in it, a little purplish tone, and it kind of warms that blue up? So we don't have to say, don't ever use blue because it's cold. We might say, let's warm that blue up a little bit. So again, it's educating yourself to the usage of color and um, not overgeneralizing about don't use this, don't use that. Always think of it in context in terms of where the home is, 
where the space is, how are you using the color? Oh, there's so much wisdom here. And Lee, honestly, we could go on. But as we wrap up, I think part of the message that that we've gotten from you and from Pantone through the years is that, you know what, there's more than one color on that paint chip on, you know, and it doesn't have to be that peach fuzz. It can be any of the ones in the family. And I think that's really important to remember too. And you've mentioned this in branding for companies and for like for realtors who have a company or their own partnership or whatever. If you want to freshen up the colors, not to throw the baby out with the bathwater, but maybe to look at another color in the family and keep your basic color, but just sort of expand on it, grow, let it blossom. Exactly. That's a very, very well-made point. You don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, you have equity if you're doing branding in a particular color. You've established it over the years. You've developed a reputation around it. Uh, But nevertheless, we want to freshen it up a little bit to a new pair of eyes. And again, you mentioned that younger generation that might be purchasing that product or that home, whatever it would be. Uh, let's give it a fresher approach. And that's taking a look at the colors you already have and using a nuance of that color. There's also something else that uh, I would like to mention, and that is that there are a group of colors called crossovers that we see in nature around us frequently. Uh, and as a result, they are very versatile colors. It's important to think in terms of versatility. And that is something that I teach in my classes as well. Uh, and as a matter of fact, right now, I'm working on a program that we are going to offer online to people who want more knowledge about color in interiors. They don't want to be overwhelmed. It's not all about color theory, which can make you crazy after a while. But it's this, you know, the most basic ideas, the most basic concepts about color. Uh, And so I go back to the idea of educating yourself, keeping yourself aware of what's going on in the world of color. Thank you. Thank you. And for educating us, enlightening us, coloring our world. And we so appreciate your time and your wisdom today, Lee. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, one more thing. I can't let you go. Just just while it's us. What's going to be the color for 2025? Oh, you know, I can't tell you. Oh, I I can't reveal it. (laughs) And honestly, we're still still doing our homework. We're not not anywhere near there yet. (laughs) Oh, well, I'd love to be in on the think tank. And thank you so much for opening everything to us here today. Take care. Well, I tried. Okay, thanks, Lee. Happy New Year. Okay. Bye-bye. Wasn't she great? Color consultant extraordinaire Lee Eisman. Wow. You know, I was tickled peach fuzz to learn that our perceptions of color can actually change. And I absolutely loved what Lee said about eclecticism in the home. So fascinating. And if you want to learn more about color trends and psychology, whether it's for yourself or for your business, Lee's got you covered. She has authored 10 books on the subject and has a handful of courses available through her website, LeatriceEisman.com, and you can find it in our show notes. Real Time is brought to you by the Canadian Real Estate Association, CREA. Production is courtesy of Alphabet Creative, with tech support from Rob Whitehead. And if you want more real estate resources, tools, and insights, just visit us anytime at crea.ca. And if you liked this episode, we hope you did. There's more where it came from. We're inviting you to explore all of our real-time episodes, all bringing you trusted, inspiring perspectives on all things Canadian real estate. 
Would you do us a favor? Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, or review. We really appreciate it. I'm your host, Erin Davis. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon on Real Time. Real Time.